Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Thanks for allowing us to share this time with you. Honestly, it's our favorite time of the day where we get to hang out together and talk about how the truth of God's Word can make a huge difference in your life. And that's what we're going to hear from Richard in a way that only he can do with words of hope, insight, and humor. You may be stuck in traffic or stuck in life. Either way, today's message is going to help get you on the right track as you learn how much God loves you right where you are. So let's get right into today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Stand Up Man. What is a stand up man? Always ready to be there and possibly defend another person, always being reliable and trustworthy, basically being someone you can depend on. This earns a man a reputation of being a stand-up kind of man or a stand-up kind of guy. So we're going to talk about standing up today. Turn to Joshua 24. We're going to start there. While you're looking for that, I'll add some comments here. Obviously, we're not limiting this to just men standing up, but we're going to emphasize that a little bit. You go back through history, Martin Luther stood up. Martin Luther King stood up. William Wallace, if you've ever seen the movie Braveheart, that's William Wallace. One of my favorite scenes is William Wallace at the front of the army, not on a white horse where he could retreat quickly, taking a stand, leading his troops into battle. If you remember Tank Man in China, Tiananmen Square, the guy that stood out there, I mean, seemed like a nutcase, but man, four tanks backed up behind him and, you know, for a little while he shut them down and just something simple as taking a stand, trying to shut something down. Rosa Parks, she took a stand by taking a seat. And sometimes that's what you do. Esther in the Old Testament, great story if you've never read the book of Esther. Man, what a, you know, you read the story, you go, well, good for her, she took a stand and it worked out okay. When you take a stand and it can cost you your life, that's a big deal. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today as well. In Joshua chapter 24, this chapter is pretty long. And I'm going to read you a little bit for background's sake here. Joshua 24, verse 1, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them, and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwell on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you, but I gave them into your hand, that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam, therefore he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. 
And the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor. So he says, it was not with your sword, not with your bow. God even uses hornets to chase people out. Like, you didn't do that. That was me. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. It's so simple. You say, well, thank God we don't have other gods. You read this in other parts of the world, they have other gods. They have little statues in their houses. You say, well, I don't have any statues in my house. What do you serve that is your God? So you say, well, I got to have a job. It's one thing to do a job. It's another thing to serve your job. And if you're more focused on money, if you're more focused on business, you're more focused on even a person. From time to time, I hear a mom or a dad, and you think, well, it's not a bad thing. Oh, you know, here's a picture of my children. They are my life. You cannot make your children your life. You cannot make your wife your life. They may not make it. You can't make your husband your life. You make Jesus your life. You make him the one you serve. And then all the other things get sorted out and prioritized. All right, keep reading. Simply says, serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord... Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. So now think about, this is what he's saying. And usually we get people read the verse I'm about to read. But if you say, well, I think it's evil. From my perspective, to serve the Lord to be evil. Then choose someone you're going to, who are you going to serve? Who was it? You got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord. Remember that song? Bob Dylan? You got to serve somebody. So who are you serving? You say, well, I'm self-serving. Like a restaurant of some kind. It's all about me. It's self-serve. Take care of me. What about me? If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a simple statement. He says, you choose for yourselves, but me and my house. Now that's something different. If Joshua just said, I will serve the Lord, that's one thing. But when he as a man says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, that's a stand-up guy right there. You say, well, you can't force your family to serve the Lord. You can lead your family somewhere if you're not leading them. Too many men are afraid to lead because they think it's going to cost them something in the short run and don't think about what it's going to cost them in the long run. You say, well, what if my wife cuts me off? What if she threatens something? Dude, if that's who you're married to, that's coming anyway, no matter what. You say, well, that means going to make me a dictator. No, it makes you a leader. And if you're a true leader, you're a servant. You're serving that woman. You're not bossing her around. But there are moments in a family, in a home, in a marriage where you say, no, we're not doing this. The world's going this way. We're going this way. You take a stand. You say, well, nobody's doing that anymore. What books are you reading? This is the book I'm reading. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. 
For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us all the way we went and among the people throughout whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord for he is our God. So he says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I said, okay, we also will serve God. But Joshua said to the people, now listen to this. You say, well, they had a little pep rally. Joshua goes, I'm in, are you in? We're in here we go. But look what he adds to this. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. Underline, if you feel comfortable, underline stuff in your Bible, underline that phrase in verse 24. The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. You do those two things, your whole life will change. You serve him, and you obey his voice, and you cannot live the same life. It is not possible. So one guy takes a stand, and a bunch of other people follow. Here's what I think we might have lost sight of. You say, well, I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to, you know, it's really not my business what someone else does, and, you know, I'm just not going to get involved. Sooner or later, you have to take a stand, sooner or later. So when someone takes a stand and says, I'm gonna try to do the right thing, the responsibility of other believers, and when men take a stand, the responsibility of other men is to go stand behind them and say, I will stand with you. You will not have to stand alone. It is very difficult to stand alone. So when someone takes a stand, and you believe in what they're saying, go stand with them. Don't leave them by themselves. All right, go to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, so the church had just been born, thousands of people were getting saved, they had everything in common, it says, and literally there was food being distributed to make sure nobody was without those days, the number of the disciples was multiplying. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So stuff's being handed out, and these widows are getting left out. Then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you. So here was the challenge. Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the criteria, these are not called disciples, not elders, not deacons. They just need seven guys to help serve the tables. But they had to be, look, look what kind of people they had to be. Stand-up guys. More than that, good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Verse 5, the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and it lists the other six. Then look down at verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. This is just some guy they picked to serve tables, but look at the game he's got. 
Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilician Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him into the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Man, that is some kind of guy right there. Who is that man? Pick to serve tables, but powerful things are happening. Now let's go to chapter seven. So he's been accused of all this. They got him in front of the high priest, and the high priest said, are these things so? And he takes off. Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Abraham took a stand. Then he came out of that land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to the land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. So now we've read it over there in Joshua. He recounted a bunch of history. Now we got Stephen here. Know where you came from. You say, well, I don't know any of this. Well, learn. Read your Bible. It's not complicated. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs becoming envious sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. So he starts going through this whole process, then moves on down to verse 20, gets to Moses. And they say, well, what in the world is he doing? He's going through the whole history. The chief priest, these guys know all this stuff. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. So when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptians. So Moses killed some guy, taking a stand. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren, why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. And it goes on then to talk about what Moses did and going into Egypt set, you know, to deliver the people of God. Go down to verse 35. This Moses whom they rejected saying, who made you a ruler and a judge is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer. The question was, who made you a ruler and a judge? But God sent him to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. This is that Moses 
who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give us, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected. So now he's building a case. All this has happened, the history he's recounting, but now the rejection And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god, Rephon, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, now listen to this. Solomon, Old Testament, built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all things? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Now, this is not how to make friends and influence people, by the way, again. So he's laid all this out, telling their history, his history, their history, and now he's starting to address them as though they're the same kind of people that rejected God before. So now he's addressing them saying, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. Not uncircumcised, they're Jews, they're circumcised, but uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. You can be very religious and resist the Holy Spirit. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. Okay, so now he's moving into Jesus. Who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. You've had stuff told you by angels themselves and you still won't keep that. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. They are furious. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and what? Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Everywhere in Scripture says that Jesus went and sat down at the right hand of the Father, seated at the right hand of the Father over and over. The only place he stands up, recorded in Scripture that I know of, is Stephen. This is what I believe. When you stand up for him, he stands up for you. You take a stand, he'll take a stand with you. I don't know that I've ever told this story, but there was a Sunday morning back there in that right-hand backside. A lady came that didn't speak any English, and she was sitting next to one of the ladies that's on the mission field now, she and her husband. And so this Hispanic woman, Annie, was translating the whole sermon back and forth to her during the service. And toward the end of the service, the lady kind of nudged her and said, do you see it? 
in Spanish. And Nanny said, see what? She says, do you see it? And she started pointing down to the stage. And Nanny said, what are you talking about? She says, the angel standing behind Pastor Richard. Do you see it? Big angel with his hands out. You say, well, that's a little freaky. Let me tell you something. If they're not here, we're in a heap of trouble. I don't get to see them yet, but I believe they're here. Bigger than that, I know he's here. Because he's got to be here because he lives in me. You never take a stand alone. You say, well, I've taken a stand before and no one was with me. Maybe no one you could see. Go read the story in the Old Testament about the city surrounded with chariots and soldiers. And Gehazi's nervous. And God says, open his eyes. He didn't say open my eyes. I don't know if he could see him or not. Like, I don't need to see him. I know they're here. And Gehazi goes outside. And the enemy that had surrounded the city was surrounded by horses and chariots of fire, it says. So even when I have been alone, I am never alone. Keep reading. 55 again. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Should have kept his mouth shut. How do you keep your mouth shut when you see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God? <laughs> I don't even know. How would you? Oh, dude, I wish I could tell you what I just saw. You know, you got to say it. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, plugged their ears, and ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And if you're not familiar much with the Bible, Saul is kind of a terrorist, Jewish terrorist that's persecuting Christians. So he's out there at the stoning of Stephen, and they lay all their clothes down so they can get all, you know, freed up to throw stones. And he's one of the guys witnessing the stoning of Stephen and eventually becomes one of the apostles. Interesting how one man taking a stand makes such an impact on one man named Saul who had to change his name. He was so different, Paul. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. You say, well, dude, I just signed up to help widows, you know, serving tables. I didn't sign up for that. Yeah, you did. You sign up to serve him, you're in. He said, well, Richard, just make it easier. Just tell people they can come no matter what. We'll take them no matter what. We will take you no matter what, but we're not going to leave you no matter what. You say, but I don't want to grow. I get that. And God doesn't love you any more or less whether you want to grow or not. But where this is going to be so crazy expensive is when you drop dead or Jesus returns and you face him and he goes, okay, so let's just review. What did you not get? serve, sacrifice, your life. I gave my life. I asked you to give your life. This is what could have happened. You missed it. You missed it. And then he looks at me and goes, why didn't you tell them? And the elders, why didn't you tell them? So we're trying to tell you. And we're not just trying to tell you, we're willing to help you. If you stand up and say, I need help, I promise you, someone will help you. You will not be by yourself. I didn't grow up doing church this way. If I had stood up, I don't think hardly anybody knew what to do because I searched for years and years and years for someone to help me find my way. And finally, an old man stood up with me and changed my life. 
Richard will be back in a moment to wrap up today's talk. But first, I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Let's be honest. Real life isn't about living some highlight reel for others to see. Most people have deep hurts, questions, and struggles. Well, we get it, and we want to help you in any way we can. So let's keep this conversation going. You can give us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. You can even put in your prayer request right there on the prayer wall. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD or online at richardellistalks.com. And now let's get back to Richard with a final word on today's show. Fidel Castro is no friend of the Christian life, but he does know something about commitment. He gave an interview after the revolution and takeover. The interviewer asked him, if you had to do it over again, how many people would it take you to succeed? Castro answered that he did it the first time with 84 core people who helped execute the plan. But if he did it again, could carry out the revolution with just four. Of course, the four would need to be willing to die. We have a Savior who stood up and laid down and stood up again. And I don't know if he gets up for everybody when they die, but what a crazy thing that would be to see the heavens open and your Savior standing to greet you. Take a stand. If you say, well, I can't stand alone, then take a stand and pray that someone will stand with you. I promise he will not just stand with you. If you're a Christian, he'll stand in you. He's the only way I stand at all. It's not me standing here. It's not me. It's Christ in me. That's my only hope. This has been Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. There's only one reason we do this program, to take the planet with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our message and our mission. And you have a vital part of doing that along with us. If you've been encouraged by these talks with Richard, be sure to share with someone about the change they've made in your life. And we'd love to hear your story as to how the talks have made a difference to you. Give us a call. We'd love to talk with you. 855-6-RICHARD. You can also reach us through our website, richardellistalks.com. And while you're there, check out all the fun and informative pages we put together for you. richardellistalks.com. While you're there, be sure to click on the Contribute tab at the top to send your generous gift. If the program is making a difference to you, your gift will make a big difference to us. Until next time, thanks so much for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.